Good evening. That was pretty good. I think we can even do better. Good evening. Good evening. That was way better. It's so good to have everyone, old and new. I'm going to pray. We're going to read Psalm 133. I have some words to share with you. I have something to play for you that you, if any of you are not in therapy, you may consider, consider finding or seeking therapy after I play this. And then we're going to talk about the hope we have in the Catholicity of our faith. And then we're going to feast and it's going to be glorious. So let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for this space and this family and this evening and the hope that we have in you. So, Lord, bless us. Bless us as we learn. Bless us as we feast. Bless us as we fellowship, that all we do here is done for the glory of your name. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 133. Almost. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God God, indeed. It is such a gorgeous, gorgeous evening, and it is incredible to be here with everyone. How's it going? We have beers and the like in the pink cooler and non-beers in the blue cooler. So I wanted to start this off with just kind of a statement that I think everybody here would probably agree with, that Christian literacy is at an all-time low. Would you agree that, and I'm speaking predominantly outside of the people that are here, but in general, Christian literacy is at an all-time low. And I'm thinking about this in kind of like the greater church, the broader church, There are many people, some of them who even attend places that title themselves as church, and they go regularly, that know very little about their own faith. They don't really know what they believe in. They don't know what it is the Christian life is supposed to be, but they would label themselves as Christians. I've been thinking a lot recently as we've had this kind of summer of hope and we're figuring out where we're going as a church. I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, why is this? Because it wasn't always this way. And so, I think I've said this before here, but my, my estimation, my thought is, is that because we have turned, we, the, the, the big we, have turned church into a consumable, we, we, we've turned church into like this consumable that you go participate in, it's something you consume, that we've marginalized it to just another consumable that we have in our lives, right? It's something that we do, it's something that we go to, we participate in, but it doesn't really have any meaningful impact on our lives other than the fact that we went, I know this isn't the case for us here, but we see this in the broader church world. It was like we went to Cirque du Soleil yesterday. It's kind of like going to Cirque du Soleil for a lot of churches, right? There's a big band, probably a fog machine, an elaborate performance. You get a little bit of an emotional response, and then you leave, and you're like, yes, I went. I did something. I might have even remembered a bit in peace. I think the pastor had three takeaways I was supposed to take away with me today, but I don't remember any of them. But, but there was like an emotional response for some performance-based theater that called itself a church. And that's really about it. And I think when you, when you start interacting with people who participate in this world and you ask them about their faith, a lot of times they can't articulate anything more than, well, Jesus died for my sins, which is a good starting place. But our faith is more than that, right? Our relationship with the Lord is more than that. So you may say, well, this is easy for you to say. You're a theologian, and you're an academic, and you're a pastor, and you study these things all the time. 
and you know the Bible. But the reality is everybody should. We, we all have access. We talked about this as we, before we started the Summer of Hope. So we've been working through the Westminster Confession of Faith that Scripture is accessible, that it's accessible to everybody. You don't have to have special training to understand the salvation and the promises that God gives us through the Bible. And so tomorrow we're going to talk about the accessibility of Scripture. And we're talking about how the Holy Spirit works in us. And we're talking about specifically through the parables. We're going to talk about why some people seem to get it and some people don't and how the Spirit working in them draws people to Christ or, or, or not. But I think we also have to think about like where the fundamental literacy, what we believe in, and being able to articulate that. And I think the thing that surprised me the most, and most of you know, for the new people, you don't know, but I was a Jew for like 12 years in the middle a religious Jew within these 12 years. And so one of the things that surprised me, because I didn't grow up in a Christian house, when I came to Orthodox Christianity, Bible-believing Christianity, when I first came back into the church, as I was making my way, I should say, to Orthodox Christianity, I was really surprised that people didn't like live their faith out. It wasn't something that was impactful to all areas of their life. They would tell me they were Christians, and they might even have like a cutesy like Bible verse on a wall or something. But that was it. There was no impact noticeably of how their faith was applied to their everyday life. It was church was just another activity that they went to, or they were part of a small group that was really engaging, and they liked this one better than they liked the last one because the people were better or whatever, right? And then my mind was even more blown because I didn't know there were really like progressive churches that didn't believe in the Bible. That was a very surprising experience for me, especially when I pastored at one. And then my statement of faith was under question at an ordination <laughs> committee because I talked about the inerrancy of Scripture. There was a whole thing. They, they had to kick me out. It was on Zoom, too, because they were scared and it was COVID. And so, 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 so there were a lot of red flags early on. And they kicked me out of the room. They brought me back and said, well, we really, we're a little bit concerned about something you have in your statement of faith. And I was like, okay, well, what's that? And they're like, well, you mentioned the inerrancy of the Bible. And I was like, and? Aren't you guys pastors? Never mind. So I was a little bit blown away by this when I ended up at this progressive church that claimed to be Presbyterian, but didn't even know any of the foundational documents that made them a Presbyterian or what they would, would, what would one would consider a Reformed church. And so we know this, that when Christ isn't at the center of the life of the church, or, or the, uh, for our life for that matter, um, then we know that something else is going to be put in its place. We're all going to worship something, and so if it's not Jesus, it's going to be something else. And so what happens now in, in our current culture is that something else is, is taking root, and it's taking root inside churches or places that call themselves churches, right? They're, they're bending to culture's demands to see it stay relevant. If we don't, then we won't. And so they're, they're like the companies that are giving into the woke mafia. And we've seen how it works with the woke mafia, right? Like Bud Light and Target, these... Was it uh, go woke, stay broke, or stay woke, go broke? Either way, eventually you're going to go broke. When you have diversity, inclusion, and equity, I only call them diversity, inclusion, and equity because it spells die that way, and these programs eat themselves. So when you have these diversity, inclusion, and equity programs, they eventually eat themselves. The Wall Street Journal just ran a bit this week about how now these executives that have been hired to be diversity executives are running out of things to do <laughs> because it's not a real job. But... This, 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 what's happened in, in the business world has, has worked its way into the church world, right? Where, where churches feel like they have to give in to these woke demands. They have to give in to culture or else people aren't going to feel that they're relevant. And what happens when this happens? It, it, it's catastrophic. It's catastrophic because it's heresy. 
and, and it's going against God's word from people, and, and sometimes that were actually trained actually in God's word, that have, have then jumped on you know, the river of culture and they're going with the waves. Are there waves in a river? More like a, a rapid, like a rapid, a current going with the current. The illustration is important to use the right illustration. And I think this happens because Christians don't ultimately know their faith. They don't know what they believe in. And so if you end up in a place that's, that's moving with the waves or the tides or the river of culture, and you're not firm in the foundation of what you actually believe, you can start going with us and go, well, I mean, it sounds nice. It sounds loving. And if it sounds nice and it sounds loving, and I know Jesus is love, then this is probably okay. So what we're going to see after I play this, and you guys all need a little bit of therapy, is that I think what it's going to come back to is the Catholicity of our faith. That's what's really important, the Catholicity of our faith. And, that, the faith, and that's where we're going to find our hope. So, but before I talk about the hope that we find in the Catholicity of our faith, I want to play an example of what it looks like when Christians don't know what their faith says, and they buy into the culture, and they start saying really, really crazy things. So this is called the Sparkle Creed. If you have not had the displeasure of listening to the Sparkle Creed yet, I'm going to try to turn this up so we can all hear this. All right. I might play this twice, just so the real impact can be heard by everybody. Let us confess our faith. Oh, hold on here. This is, the, this is the technology mishap. I thought I was connected to the thing, and then I'm not. Let's see if it'll connect now. Sorry, guys. Why didn't you do anything? If not, you're just going to have to listen to it off my phone. Right. You guys can all hear. I'm not going <laughs> to. Reconnecting. All right, here we go. Let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the eighth quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love. So beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. I will absolutely pray for her unbelief, and I pray that gets help. I know it's this is the first time I heard it when I actually heard all the, the congregants. Yes, say, saying it aloud, aloud, aloud. So I wish I could tell you this was new, but that video was recorded in 2021 at a United Church of Christ congregation that the the lady identifying as a pastor there. Um, has written the Sparkle Creed and <laughs> and delivered it. And so we can laugh here, we can laugh, but you all know this is serious. And this is really broken, and this is really messed up. And, and I didn't realize until I was digging a little bit when I was writing this for the Outpost that, that this, this woman was at a UCC church, and the church I helped plant before we planted Christ Church met at a UCC building. And I read some weird stuff in the liturgy handout. They would, they would end prayers with namaste. 
and, and not amen, and they didn't pray to God. So, but you can see what's happened, that this, this denomination, this movement of churches has continuously slid, continuously slid into a place of attempting to be culturally relevant, and you end up with things like the Sparkle Creed, right? And there's not much you can, like, we're not going to waste time dissecting the Sparkle Creed, because everybody here knows it's insane. Like the AIDS quilt. It's like a singular quilt. Where is the quilt? I mean, the irony is, is that there is real diversity in God's kingdom. Actually, there's every image bearer of God is a unique and diverse creation. But what you, can, what you can see is how things are manipulated to kind of fit into this current cultural box. And it ends up being absolute heresy. You all know that, that Jesus was not born of the non-binary God. And, and, I mean, it's, it's so stupid to even say those words out loud without laughing. And there's no way he wore, pardon? And he had two dads. What about his mom? That's what Doug said. What about his mom? He had a mom in there. We make a whole big deal about that part. <laughs> and you all know he didn't have a fabulous tunic. That's insane. He was walking around in the wilderness. Who has nice clothes after running around in the wilderness a bunch? Getting this yeah, see, they got the Bible stories messed up. You see, there's, there's accurate terms in there. Like we just said, there's diversity. We know where real diversity in God's kingdom comes from, not from skin color and other dividing lines, but the fact that everybody is a unique image bearer of God. We know that there really are brothers and sisters, but it's, it's real brotherhood and sisterhood. We talked about that at church last Sunday. And then she says, you I believe in love is love is love is love. Doug and his Doug responds. It's very funny. You should watch it. It's on YouTube. He can't get through much of it because he just laughs because what are you going to say? But he said, I wonder if they love their enemies. <laughs> I wonder if I could bring her a list of the, uh, the enemies, the people that they dislike politically, and if that love is love is love is counted in that. And what's really amazing to me, and I think it was you, you Kristen pointed this out to me. She's emotionless saying it. There's, there's no power behind the words as she's saying the words. There's no way that even in her right mind or her wrong mind, she actually believes any of the things that she is saying are true. It's, it's insane, and it's silly, and it's pandering, and it caters to culture, and none of it represents a true faith in Christ. And it actually is divisive by its very nature. So that's the problem. It's an easy problem. Then the question becomes, what is the solution? Because where is the hope? We're in the summer of hope. We cannot just sit here and listen to the Sparkle Creed and then go feast. That would be terrible. What do we do with the fact that there has to be a Twitter feed called Woke Preacher Clips? Like, it's painful. It's so painful. You should look at it, but it's really also so painful. Well, it should actually... It's real. Yes, it's real. But, but here's where the hope in that is. The hope in that is, is that there's a landscape for us to go deliver the actual message. And, and the way we do that is we re-Catholicize the church. See, I, f I figure I like to use terms that might make some Protestants slightly uncomfortable. But we should re-Catholicize the church. Now, I do not mean Roman Catholic. And those of you who've been in the church a while know this. Um, I love my wife way too much to be a Roman Catholic. Just wouldn't. And the whole Pope thing and the weird hats and bishops. I mean, we could get cool hats, though. We should totally get cool hats. But what I, what I mean by that is that we need to look at the church as the Catholic church, little c, which is the Greek word for universal. We must be united as a Catholic, as a universal church. And we are not united as a church right now, truthfully. And 
we have to remind ourselves that united unbelievers are stronger than disunited believers. We have a whole bunch of united unbelievers that are united against God's church, that, that are fighting to change language. I mean, Chesterton said that, was it the only thing worth really fighting over is words. Language is really important. Words are really important. So we find ourselves in this situation right now where the church is incredibly divided, the pagans are united against the church, and it's all because we fail to see ourselves as the Catholic Church and be united around a common foundation, a common creed. And I will tell you, the spoiler alert is, it is not the Sparkle Creed. Nobody should be united around that at all. You see, the reality is there's always been different stylistic approaches to worship. The church that you guys go to has guitars. We don't have guitars. Stylistic differences to worship. I wear a collar at church. Brian doesn't wear a collar at church. Stylistic differences to worship. You could go to a Protestant church in Africa, and you could have covenant renewal worship that contains all of the elements liturgically that we have in our churches, but it would feel different. You, just as you can go to two churches in Denver and have faithful churches, but it feels different, right? There's no heresy because of that. Some may kneel for the confession of sin, some may not. There could be stylistic differences in music or, or the prayers that are said or the songs that are sung. But none of that changes, none of that changes if they're faithful churches, their status before the Lord. Just because we have stylistic differences does not mean that we should be divided as a church. Just because we have certain theological differences does not mean we should be divided as a church. What I mean by that is we can always disagree on secondary things but not primary things. We're going to get to the primary things in a minute. So, for example, the denomination that we've applied for or are applying for and where you guys are at, those of you who are here from our sister church, I don't know if you know this or not, it's made up of Presbyterian and Baptist churches because we share common creeds and then we disagree on some secondary matters about modes and methods of baptism. And we're still brothers and sisters in Christ even though we disagree on some theological things because they're secondary matters not primary matters. So, churches can have different looks and different feels and different liturgies and even different theologies, and they can still be aligned. You say, well, how? Because we don't see that right now. We see people in their little camp, with the, they got a flag for their camp, and, they, and obviously we all know that Presbyterians that baptize babies are right. I mean, we know that here. But we like people from, we like people, yeah, that's our, it's our flag in the ground. We like people from the other camps. So how do we do this? Well, the way we do this is we, we have to go back and look at how the historic church did it, and they did it around common creeds and common confessions. We come, especially as a church body here at Christ Church, from a common creed, and this is the common creed that we recite every Sunday. We say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Bless you. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I know, I think you guys say we instead of I. I kept it as I because I like the group sharing the individual nature of that piece of faith, what I believe. But we call this, and you guys know this by style, as the Apostles' Creed. It's our common creed. It, it defines our faith. It is the elevator speech of our faith. 
You see, the, Apostle Creed, the Apostles' Creed reflects the traditions as set down in the Nicene Creed, the Nicaea Creed. And, and so, if you look back, the earliest version of the Apostles' Creed was written about 341 A.D. The Nicene Creed, I think I said Nicene, that was terrible. The Nicene Creed was developed at the Council of Nicaea in 325, but then amended in 381, and kind of the agreed-upon version of the Nicene Creed in 381 says this, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who, for us men and for our salvation, came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, not just two dads, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again, with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in the holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. See, the, the Nicene Creed came as, as disagreements during the 4th century regarding the Father and the Son, and the church needed this clarified position on what the church, the universal church, believed. Foundationally, what the church believed. And so they, they finalized this agreement in the creed that I just read in 381 A.D., and that's the version that we still use today. It is the foundation of faithful churches, just as the Apostles' Creed is similarly the foundation of faithful churches. This is important because it connects us back to the history of the church. You should be wary when people invent new things, and they tell you that after thousands of years of study and knowledge, that they now have new knowledge and greater knowledge than the people that came before us. The Bible tells us clearly to pay attention to the wisdom of our fathers, and our church fathers are no exception to that. And if we look at the Apostles' Creed, it's really broken into four parts. What we believe about the Father, what we believe about the Son, what we believe about the Holy Spirit, and then what we believe about the church and its saints, all y'all. So the Father says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. That's simple. We believe in God who created heaven and earth. And we talked about why evolution was trash last week, so there you go, right there. In one sentence, I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. The, the sparkle creator would probably have something, I believe in one giant cosmic accident that left primordial goo that now turned into talking people, and sparkles! Ridiculous. <laughs> then we say about the Son, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the Son of God. That is foundational to believe. You have to believe in that to be a Christian. You have to believe that He's our Lord, that Christ is Lord over everything, that He was born of a virgin, that He suffered unjustly under Pontius Pilate, that He was crucified, that He was died, that He, that he descended into hell. That's a whole different outpost and a whole different sermon for another day. And then He came back three days later, and then He ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. 
which means that he is entitled to all of the things that God has at his right hand, which means that he is king over everything. Isn't it amazing that the church has forgotten that Jesus, the head of the church, is king over everything? And we believe that he comes back, that he comes back to judge everyone and everything. It's pretty simple. What about the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's an acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. Those three things are the acknowledgement that the Trinity exists. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, we can, be in, we can be in communion with Roman Catholics where we cannot be in communion with Mormons. Because the Roman Catholics, even though Papa don't Pope here, right? Even though we don't roll, roll with the Pope Mobile or those things, we, we, we have communion with Roman Catholics that believe in the Trinity, that recognize God as King. We do not have that with Mormons who do not believe in the Trinity and do not recognize that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God and ruler of the universe. See, we, we acknowledge in the creed the foundation of the Godhead that is the Trinity. And then what about the church? What about all of us? Well, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. We've talked about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, what about the people? Makes me think of the thing, this is the church, and this is the steeple. Look inside, and here are the people. But did you hear this? The first thing that's most important is God's church is universal, and God's universal church is holy. It's not just some gathering of people. It is holy. When, when believers gather together in, in koinonia, in fellowship, it is holy. And so why would we not have hope in the thing that is holy, that God has, has set aside as his bride? Like There's hope in that. There's hope because it is holy. The church is united on the foundation of Christ, which makes it holy. And then that's where the communion of saints, where all of us come together. Last week's sermon, we talked about being brothers and sisters in Christ, like the actual fact that we are really family. Which means even when we have brand new folks to come in, we welcome each other as family because we are actually family. We want to be in koinonia. We want to be in fellowship with one another. Iron sharpens iron. And we do that because we are people who believe in the forgiveness of sins. Our sins are forgiven. So then we go out and we forgive sins. As forgiven people, we are forgiving. It's really incredible. We're, it's, it's part of living our values as Christians. We are forgiving people because we are forgiven. And we have hope because we believe in the physical resurrection of the body, right? It's foundational to our faith. We believe in the physical resurrection of the body. We believe that this isn't the only life, that there is life everlasting, reunited with our Creator. Like, how can we not be hopeful people in these things? We believe this isn't the only life. This isn't it. It doesn't just end because you were primordial goo and then time ran out and nothingness. We have life everlasting, reunited with our Creator forever. And that is the foundation of our faith. And that's why we as a church, we adhere to creeds and confessions. We didn't just like invent our, hey, this is what we believe. We're uniting ourselves with the, the historicity, is that a word? I think that's a word. Of, hmm? Historicity? Historicity, I like that. Especially if you pronounce it the right way, it sounds better. The historicity of the church. We are connecting ourselves with the people that came before us, united as the universal church, past, present, and future. And there's power in that. We want to be people that encourage churches to grow in their adherence to God's word, to see the sufficiency of scripture, and to be united together on foundational issues, even if we're divided on secondary issues. I mean, saying this earlier about denominations, like look at how many denominations have been created in the last 150 years compared to the historic church. 
We should spend more time looking back at the historic church. How did they worship? How did they gather? How did they serve the Lord? That's why reading old dead guys is critical for pastors and also for congregants. We should be looking at the wisdom of the people that came before us. So here's where my hope is. My hope is for the creeds, not in the creeds. My hope is in Jesus. But my hope is for the creeds. I don't place hope in them. They can't save us. Only Jesus can save us. But what they can do is unite us. Unite us in common words and common tongue as the same foundation as Christ's church. They, they become the foundation that we have with other Christians, mutual ground. There are presuppositions. But they also become an easy way for us to explain our faith to other people. And if we want to argue about secondary matters, that's fine. It's a great time to do that, especially with other theologically minded folks. And we both get to grow in seeing different viewpoints and takes on Scripture. But the point of being united, the point of, of Catholicity is, is to be stronger as a church. And I think we can do that in the Apostles' Creed. Because we should be united around our common faith. We should be literate around our common faith. And I believe that the Apostles' Creed gives us a starting point for that. It is our uniting point. A point to come together as the universal, as the Catholic Church. If you don't already have it memorized, I'd encourage you to memorize it. It's not that many verses. I know if you guys are saying it at church like we are, it's probably built into your memory, but I would encourage it to be something that you, you impress upon your mind because then when you impress things upon your mind, you use those words as you carry them out in, into the world. And then I would say if you've memorized it, you should dig into each line. I've got some really good resources. One of the books I read as I was looking for this week was a, an exit. It was, a, it was from, I think it was Reformed Heritage Books. Wrote, it was somebody, they published it. But it was an exegesis line by line and all the Bible verses to back up everything in the Apostles' Creed. It's fantastic. You'll grow deeper in your knowledge and your faith and you'll grow deeper in your love of the Lord the deeper you grow in the knowledge of your faith. And I promise you that. It's so real. It's so true. And then for those of you with kids, you need to teach this to your children. If you have younger siblings, and you guys have been studying, teach it to your younger siblings. Make sure they know this. Experience and encourage the hope of being a creedal Christian, of uniting yourself with the historic church and the future church through these creeds and confessions. And have joy in having a foundation. Um, I, the guys in Moscow do a, during the school year, there's like a read the whole Bible in a school year, and then during the summer, it's like read the New Testament in the summer. And I usually post it on the church website. And so I'm, I'm following through that and just finished Acts. And I was looking at Acts 2, 244. They said, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Do you think they had like everything in common? Like they loved all the same activities and the same... No, of course not. What is it they had in common? They had in common the same, the same foundation of their faith, the same love of the Lord, the same priority of all of Christ for all of life. They weren't robots, but they had all the same spiritual things in common. We're not looking for, like, Christian robots here. So you guys all look and get, the, like, the Nikes and the Kool-Aid all at the same time. That's next week, by the way. Um, we don't want robots. Actually, we pray for this at Communion. I say, as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup, grant, O Lord, that your whole church may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. The Catholic universal church bound together, strengthen each other, like going out and living out our values, like the post-millennial hope, right? Conquering the world for Jesus. It's incredible. But it can only happen if we're coming from the same foundation. And that's the one that we find in the Apostles' Creed. And there's an incredible amount of hope in that. Amen? So, let's go sing, and then we'll pull all the chicken off, and we will feast, and it shall be fantastic.